0: Well, good morning. We're so glad that you took the opportunity to come here today. My name is Pastor Keith, and I have the honor and privilege of speaking to you today. And we're going to study really how to study the Bible. And I want you to think about this. This book has been relevant for 2,000 years. Think about our technology that we have, any tweet that's going out, any TikTok video or anything like that. Are they going to be relevant in 2,000 years? Absolutely not but this book is timeless because it's true, because it is the word of God and how I want to help you hopefully study it a little bit more effectively today. So would you bow with me and let's pray. Lord, we just pray so much for a fresh portion of your spirit to fall heavy upon me and to fall heavy upon my friends out here. God, we want to hear from you today. We want to be challenged. We want to be more like you. We want to be your disciples. That's what this... This whole discipleship, this whole follow series is all about is being a better follower of you. So, God, I just pray that your words would clearly articulate through my body, that I would speak with one of authority, that, God, that we would be changed to be more like you. And I pray this all in your precious name. Amen. I'm going to move this out of the way before I walk into it, because you guys know that I'm a walker. I will get my steps in here, so you will have some fun watching me do that, all right? So... I want to tell you a story, and and most of you know this. I grew up in this church, okay? And whenever I was younger in this church, I was very mischievous, to put it nicely, all right? And some of you are laughing because you had me as a Sunday school teacher. You had little Keithy Kozik a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. So one of the things I like to do whenever I was younger, um, and I've told this story before, is, is I was like a young, weird old Yankovitch. I would change all the words to the songs that we had to sing. You know, this is when I'm like 10, 11, 12 years old. We would do that. You know, like Jesus loves the little children became Jesus hates all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, put them together, to watch them fight. Jesus hates the children of the world. And me and my cronies, that we would sing this. And I've told this, and instead of go tell it on a mountain, it was go fall off a mountain, hit a rock and splatter everywhere, hey! And so I would do these things, okay? And then this recollection came to me of well, there was one more song that we used to do, all right, and go ahead and bring up my first slide grant, and we called it the grow, 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 shrink, shrink, shrink song, maybe you know this one, all right, and it was, you know, and this is a modern, more modern, I don't know, I, I know the lady was scary, I'm sorry, it was the only good picture I could find, but it was, you know, don't read your Bible, don't pray every day, well, when we learned it, it was neglect your Bible, forget to pray, and we were like 10, 11, we had no idea what neglect actually mean, we'd ask our teacher, like, what does neglect, and they'd tell, forget, and we'd like, oh, forget, we'd forget every week, so you know, don't read your Bible, don't pray every day, and you know what happened? And there was motions to it. You would what? You would shrink, 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 you would shrink, and that's about all the singing I want to do because it'll look like a mass exodus, and Walmart and Eden Park will fill up a little bit faster. I'm um, You guys getting out of here if I keep singing up, and then there was the inverse of that. It was read your Bible, pray every day. You will what? You will grow grow, grow. Well, so the motions would be taking place and people, you know, all the, everyone else would be singing it, you know, read your Bible, pray, read, you will grow, grow. And me and my crony friends, what would, we'd be shrinking, you know, we'd be doing the inverse. Everyone else would be growing, we'd be shrinking and I wouldn't just be shrinking. I'd be like laying on the ground, you know, and the teachers were like, oh, this guy, you know. Meanwhile, when everyone else was, you know, you were, you know, they were shrinking, you know, because they weren't reading their Bible and we were growing, we were jumping and stuff like that. And oh, here's, just a side note, this is the best part about that, is that you know, some of those teachers, they're still out there today, and God bless you, you know what I mean? Because now I get to teach you the Bible, isn't that hilarious? And even like my John, and son, isn't it? In the Gospel of John, like Sylvia was in there right here, I was like, now I teach her the Bible, how crazy is that? Like little Keithy Kozik now gets to do that. But here's the greatest thing about that song, is it's 100% true. When you are in this word, when you are praying, like God is alive and active in your life. You are growing. And this song, even though I made fun of it, it was so applicable to my life. And little did I know as I'm 40 years old now. Like it changes my life when I'm in this. And that's what I want and desire for you is that you would be in the word. So my first quote is actually from my favorite philosopher, pastor, teacher, whatever you want to call him. A.W. Tozer says, the reason why most people do not read their Bibles is because they have no intention of doing what it says. They have no intention. Because lots of us know that we have some sin in our lives. or maybe be some things that God wants to change. And so what we want to do is we kind of keep God at just the right length. And we don't really want to do what it says because then we might turn into one of those religious weirdos and things like that. Like, we're afraid of that thing. So the reason why we don't read our Bible is we don't really want to do what it says. Because the Bible by Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of the Lord is alive and powerful. That's why the Bible's timeless. That's why it'll be relevant for another 2,000 years. Years, It's alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between the soul and spirit, between Jordan and Morrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. The Bible exposes who you really are. It challenges you, convicts you. And that's why when you read it, you're like, oh, I don't like who I am a lot of the times. That's what happens, isn't it? So it's easier just not to read it. It's just easier to put that on the shelf and be like, I know I should do that, but I I just, I don't really, what, want to change. And yet, it's the thing that brings us the most life. Because really, we we want to be holy. You have the Holy Spirit within you desiring you to be holy. But apart from the Bible, apart from that, and apart from having great relationships, it's hard to be holy. So it brings me to my step one of how to be, you know, read the Bible better and more effectively is to be humble and to be teachable. You have to be humble and you have to be teachable for God to do a work in you and for the Bible to become relevant. John chapter 1 starts off like this, and this is verse 37. They said to him, and this is most likely the disciple John, He's, and then they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, and skip down to verse 49, Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. When they were encountering Jesus, they were coming and they were calling him what? Rabbi. And that wasn't just like Jewish priest or something like that. They were saying, I am submitting to what you have for me. You are my life coach. You are my mentor. They were coming to Jesus and I am saying, I am teachable. I am going to submit myself to what you have to say to me. I don't think it's coincidence that they talk about that in John chapter one because it's so important in our lives. If we're not willing to come and say, Jesus, I submit myself to your word and your authority, then the Bible has no relevance in our lives. But it's the very thing that the disciples do when they first encounter them, they say, listen, there's something different about you. Rabbi, teacher, we submit to your authority. They were humble and they were teachable and they were hungry and they wanted what Jesus had for them. James 4, 6 says this, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. And so what happens is, is when we are arrogant, and we don't really want to change, and we read the Bible, it doesn't really have an effect on our lives. When we're arrogant in general, and we don't really want to grow, we don't really want to change, then what? Then God can't work in our lives. In fact, God is opposing you. Think about that for a second. When you're arrogant and you're prideful and your ego gets in the way, God is opposing you. Humble people are the greatest people in the kingdom of God. You have to be humble. You have to be teachable. And that's why James 1, 2 says this, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Are you willing to do what it says? Because guess what? You're going to read this book. It's going to point out some things that you need to work on. But here's the great thing. God is going to help you when God convicts you of something. He wants to give you the help and the power through the Holy Spirit to overcome those things. He's not convicting you to say, man, you stink at this. He's saying, listen, I want to help you get better at this. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the power of the gospel. I want to tell you kind of an illustration that, that, uh, that you know, puts this all in perspective. Go ahead, hit, hit my next slide. This is a Harbor Freeze double fan, all right? We ordered this, um, and me, my brother Craig, and my friend Eric, uh, my parents ordered this down at the River House, and so we decided that we were going to put this together, all right? And as we were putting it together, we opened everything up. Guess what? There were no directions, and as men, were like, I don't really like directions anyways. I don't like asking for directions. I don't like following directions. I don't like when my life gives them to me. I just don't really like directions. So we decided as men, we're just going to put this together. Here's the crazy thing. We started putting this thing together, and a lot of it was common sense. And we were doing pretty good, all right? And then it started to get down to the nitty-gritty, though, about certain rings that had to get in. And we didn't know what to do and what we have to do. We to get on Google and online and find the directions. And people are like, ah! And then when you pull out the directions, maybe you're like me, you're like, I'm not even sure these directions are right. You know, you're like, you're like, you know, like I think my way was better, you know, and I, I'm struggling. I'm like, I'm like, I had to take things off. You're like, no, can we just leave it how it is? And I was frustrated. I'm like, tearing things off and then realigning it. And it, guess what? The directions were right again. Can you believe that? But isn't that true in our own spiritual lives? Like, we don't like to follow the directions. Are the directions right? Like, is the Bible really right? The Bible's always right. And when you humble yourself, and when you fall under that authority, things go together so much better, and it gives you a guidance and directions. And when you don't do that, when you do your own thing, that's when we get ourselves in trouble. Humble and teachable is the first step if you want to follow the Bible and have a better relationship with God. Step number one. Step number two, and this is a little bit, much more of a practical way. You know, say you're humble and teachable. Praise God for that. Pick the version of the Bible that works best for you. Pick a version of the Bible that works best for you. So there's three types of basic Bible translation. There's the word for word. And this is like the King James, the New King James. And what they literally did was they took the Bible, the words, you know, in, in Hebrew or in Greek, and they translated it straight down, all right? So it's just word for word. The next one is thought for thought. And this is, you know, a little bit, this is more like the NIV. Hey, this is, you know, the translation. And this is what the author was really trying to say. And so they make it a little bit more contemporary, a little bit easier to read. And the third version is the paraphrase, and this is much, much, much more contemporary. And this is like the Message Bible, all right, where it's just Eugene Peterson's work. It is just very, very easy to read, very, very modern day. There's three basic versions of the Bible. Now, let me make this clear. I really like all three of these, and I read them at different times. If I am truly studying the Bible, and I want to know exactly at the core of what it's supposed to say, I'll study the King James and the New King James Version because it's giving you a word-for-word thing. If I'm just going to read the Bible, um, and you could know this, most of us, you know, all the pastors up here, we usually just use the NIV, all right? Because I really do love the NIV, the translation, it's good. Um, it just really makes it very modern and contemporary to read it. And the last one is the message. If you're new to the reading the Bible and you're like, I've never cracked open a Bible, I would highly recommend you get a message Bible. Because why? Because it's just really easy and really applicable to our lives. It's so simple. It's just a modern-day version. All of them have their, their pros and their cons. They're, it's just the truth. You just find the version of the Bible, try them out. And you can try them out. Here's a couple of things. You can get the you version app. You can get on BibleGateway.com. I use Bible Gateway a lot. And you can look at all these different versions of the Bible for free. You can read them and go, oh, I kind of like this. Maybe you've been reading the NIV for a long time and maybe you want to just jump into something else and it just gives you a little bit different, you know, translations, a little bit of verbiage. Sometimes that's really good. Also on Bible Gateway, you can listen to the Bible. Some of you are like, I just do not read. I understand that. You can literally get on and just click listen and you can listen to chapter by chapter. God will honor that as well. There's so many different ways to get in the, in the word. Don't be afraid to try different ones of them. Psalm 119, 105 says this, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. Listen, you're allowed to have different lamps. You're allowed. I know that's hard to believe. Some of you are like, maybe you had that older gentleman or you were like, King James only. And the King James is a great version, but you're allowed to read different versions of the Bible. The these and the that's, it gets tiresome for me sometimes, and that's okay. But you can try different versions of the Bible. See if God will speak to you in different ways. Step number two. Step number three, do not get intimidated by the Bible. That's difficult, isn't it? Because look, there's like a gazillion pages in this, isn't there? There. I mean, look at it, and you're like, oh my gosh, look at all these pages. And I am supposed to base my life off a gazillion pages? Like, I can't even remember a recipe, you know what I mean, or anything like that. Like, this is so intimidating, isn't it? Like, oh, I've got to base my life off this, and I've got to know all the stories and all the things. You don't have to, okay? <laughs> Listen, and some people have this misunderstanding that the Bible is not meant to be understood, and that's just not true. All right, there are difficult things in this book to understand, okay? But it's not not meant to be misunderstood, okay? So there's a, we took this poll in our, in our youth group not too long ago. How many of you really believe the Bible was meant to be understood? And 80 to 90% of our kids said it's not meant to be understood. That's what our youth really believe and that's just not true. And I'd be willing to bet there's a lot of you think this book isn't meant to be understood and that's just not, that's not true. There's difficult things to understand, but it's meant to be understood. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, in righteousness. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. It's meant to be, mis- to be understood. It really is. It's just difficult sometimes. So how can we understand the Bible better? First thing, one of the biggest things I always say is get a study Bible. At the bottom of every study Bible are some notes. Some of the questions you may have may be just answered right there. Where you can look down like verse whatever, eight, verse one or whatever. I can go, oh, okay, this is what that verse is meaning to say. If you have a study Bible, it makes your life a lot easier. Another thing, this is really important. When you don't know something in life, what do you do? You Google it. You can Google the Bible. I Google it all the time. Because if you have a question, guess what? Somebody else has probably had that question at some other time about this in the Bible. What does it mean? Google is your friend. It's your friend for everything else. It can be your friend for the Bible as well. If you don't have a study Bible, use Google. It's incredibly helpful. And the last thing I recommend is find a person to help you. There are tons of pastors on this, you know, on this campus who would love to help you read the Bible more. That's why I often teach a class in the Bible. I'm teaching First and Second Samuel usually. I'm teaching, teaching John. I'm teaching it in the basement right now in the second service. You can come to us and we will help you understand the Bible. There's so many godly people that understand the Bible so well. Some of the elders, Jim Mahan's here. I see Reed, Judy knows the Bible so well. Bill Gressley's over there. Like, there are lots of people, uh, Bev Morton, Linda, events like that know the Bible so well, seek them out. They want to help you understand the Bible. Because what? It can be difficult to understand. Acts 29 uh, verse through 31 is that, you know, an Ethiopian eunuch was traveling home from Jerusalem and he had bought, you know, a scroll of the book of Isaiah. And this, is, this tells this story. The, the spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. When Philip ran up to the chariot, he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet He said, do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked, how can I unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. I've had lots of times, and when I've had different Bible teachers or different people, I've just said, hey, can you help me with this version of the Bible? Can you help me understand this? And people are gracious. If you understand the Bible, you want to teach the Bible so people can better understand it. It's okay to not know everything about the Bible. It's okay. But what we don't want to create, and this is what I feel like the church sometimes inadvertently creates, is what I like to call third-wheel Christians. I'm going to repeat that, third-wheel Christians. You know what a third wheel is? It's when you're on a date, and there's, you know, the the people that are supposed to be together, and then there's the what? The third wheel that's kind of there. And the third wheel, you know, maybe they were the one that helped kind of set the date up, and that's good, and maybe they should be there at the beginning, But at some point, for a relationship to to rather be intimacy, there has to be one-on-one. And so what we want to do here as a church is we want to foster that intimacy, but we don't want to be the third wheel all the time. We want to explain the Bible to you. Again, Joe does a great job. Bob does a great job of explaining the Bible and how it really applies and what the real meaning is. But if it's not fostering true intimacy with you reading your Bible on your own, then we're failing you. We are failing you. If you are only coming here and you are a third world Christian, third world, not world, third world Christian where you're only getting us you know, to feed off of you, then we are failing you. Our dream, our goal, our desire is that you would be intimate with this book and you would be intimate with Jesus Christ. That's our true desire and our hearts, you know, more than anything else is that you would be reading it for yourself and not totally just dependent on us that you're not a third-wheel Christian. We want to help you date it. We want to help you marry the Bible and help you have the best relationship with the Bible, but we don't want to be your sole source of it. God wants to teach you things individually through his word, and it comes by reading it. Step four, set realistic Bible reading goals. And this is such an important thing. You were here last week. Joe did an amazing job talking about the Bible and how it revolves around Jesus, and we gave you one of these, which is a Bible-reading plan, and that's awesome for the year. Here's the problem with Bible-reading plans that I've found for my years of, of helping people read the Bible. They're a lot like New Year's resolutions. After about a week or two... And, and there's no bigger failure because you've done this before in your life. You're like, I'm going to read the Bible. And you do it for a couple days, and then you miss it for a couple days, and then you go for a couple days and you quit. And then when you feel like a failure reading the Bible, then you feel like a failure as a Christian, right? And we've, most of us have been there before. So there's nothing re- with, wrong with this Bible plan. I didn't mean to rip it up, Joe. Sorry about that. But listen, you may want instead of going August 1st, you need to set realistic goals. Like maybe for you, you just reading, you know, August 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, the first week, might be a great goal for you. I'm going to do three times a week. I'm just going to do it. So it might take you two and a half years to read the Bible, but that'll be okay. You may want to do our Bible reading plan, or you may want to read, listen, read the Gospels. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read something like that. Read James. Read Ephesians. Read the Bible. Ask someone to help you read the Bible. Be accountable. Be accountable set realistic goals i'm going to read the bible 3 times a week for 15 minutes i'm going to read the bible one chapter a week you know twice a week something like that have pedestrian goals and then build off of those goals you'll much more likely to be successful then trust me set very very because you'll feel better about it because you won't feel like a failure which is what i don't want you to feel like at all set realistic goals when you're reading the Bible, you may come across the thing I like to call verse pop. Where you're sitting there reading it, and all of a sudden, the verse will just leap off the page at you. And you may be like, hey, I'm going to read for 15 minutes, or I'm going to read you know, this chapter, or I'm going to read three more chapters. I want to highly encourage you to stop if there is a verse pop that takes place. Because the bo- God wants to teach you something that right there that moment. I'm going to show you a couple of verses that verse pop with me in the last couple of weeks. And this is Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. And so when this verse popped in my head, it was like, oh my gosh, like God laid it heavy on my heart. And I started to really examine, do I have joy? Do I have peace? And so I had to just stop. and, And again, I was gonna read the rest of the chapter and I just like, no, I'm gonna stop right here. And I'm like, God, why don't I have joy and peace? why don't I have these things, what's keeping me from it, and again, it says it, as you trust in him, and I realized that there were things that I was not trusting God for, and so I had to stop right there, and I had to confess things over and over, God, I, you're right, I am not trusting you with this area of my life, I'm not trusting you with that area of my life, I had to be brutally honest with God, and just say, yeah, you're right, that is more important that you have that moment where you're meditating where God wants to teach you that thing rather than you finishing the rest of the chapter right then and there. When a verse pops like that and you feel like God wants to teach you something, stop right there and just read that, meditate on it, and ask God, okay, God, what do you want me to surrender? What do you want to teach me about this verse? First Corinthians 2.4 is another verse pop. My message, my preaching, were not with wise and persuasive words, but a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith not, might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. And that's really been my prayer for you is that, that you know I wouldn't have these persuasive words or I'd give this great talk, but that really I'm praying that one or two of you that don't normally read the Bible go home and you read the Bible for the first time and God will meet you. Like that is my deepest prayer. That's been my prayer all week for the last couple of weeks is that God just meet people's needs through the power of the Holy Spirit when they read the Bible. That's really my goal. And here's the crazy thing when you read the Bible for 15, 20 minutes for that time, most of you are like, that was a big waste of time. <laughs> most of you are like, I should do this more often. This is amazing. Like, this is an amazing book. Like, most of us, when we read the Bible, we're like, oh, it's, it was hard to crack it open, but as I've done it, it's been amazing. It's kind of like working out. The hardest part is often starting, but once you start, you're like, this is great. It's fantastic. But there's some things I I want you to avoid when, you know, reading the Bible, which is I like to call Bible verse roulette. And we've all done this, you know what I mean? Where you just open the Bible and you're like, okay, God, today, what do you got for me? Psalm 137.9. Happy is the one who seizes infants and dashes them against the rocks. God, I don't know what you're trying to teach me with that verse. But that's what we do sometimes is we just randomly pick a verse and be like, God, teach me something. And that usually doesn't work the best. You know why? Because we're playing roulette. We're just hoping that something works out. Let me tell you what the equivalent of that would be. It would be like me coming down and and coming up to you and saying, hey, can I see your cell phone for a second? Jim, can I see your cell phone for a second? It'd be like me taking your cell phone, looking through your list of contacts, you call dominoes a lot. So, so listen, you know, me looking through your contacts and picking up some random person, being like, uh, here we go, uh, Frank, me calling Frank, hey, Frank, what's the purpose of life, and do you have anything wise for me to say? Would we ever do that? Most likely not. Thanks, Jim, I appreciate it. Would we ever do that? No, we wouldn't ask some random person, but that's what we do when we play Bible verse roulette. We're just picking some random thing and going, God, give me something. But when you're in the word consistently, when you're reading the letter the way it was supposed to be read and fully, guess what? God's gonna teach you more things that way. It just makes sense. One last note on that, you know, reading the Bible, you know, what that is is, Bible is a lot like Star Wars. You don't want to start in the beginning. All right? You start with four, five, and six, episodes four, five, and six. Start with Luke Skywalker and then build off of that. You've got to know who Jesus is. You want to start towards the middle end and then build off of that. All right? Last step is step five, Context is key, context is key. You just can't pick a random verse and try to apply it to your life. So this is what you've seen, and you guys know this if you've been with me a lot. You know I'm a big shopper, big Ross, T.J. Maxx guy. And so you might see these signs, which are, with God, all things are possible. Matthew 19, 26. With God, all things are possible. And so when you read this verse independently, you're going, that's not a bad verse. And it's to remind me that if I just have faith you know, all things are possible with God. That's what happens when we read random verses like that. There's just this problem when you read this verse without the context. That's not at all what this verse means at all. In fact, this verse is so taken out of context that it's, in, it's embarrassing. So that verse actually comes from Matthew 19, which is the rich young man. And this guy comes to Jesus, and he says, good teacher, and Jesus says, why do you call me good? And what things do I got to do to inherit the kingdom of God? And God says, you know, you, know, you got to obey the commandments. And he says, all these I've, I've kept as young, you know, since I was young. And then verse 21, it says this. Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give them to the poor. Then you will have treasures in heaven. Then come and follow me. And Jesus was really calling him what in that verse? To surrender everything over to him. And then what? Then you can come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Verse 23, then Jesus said to his disciples, truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who can be saved? Like, okay, like, If it's very difficult to be saved, then who can really be saved? Like, are we saved? Is this gonna happen? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. You see, this verse is really talking about what? Being saved. And Jesus is saying, it's impossible by your own merits to be saved, but it's only possible what? Through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only way to be saved. That's the only way it's possible But when you read this verse out of context, it makes it sound like with God all things are possible. That's not at all independently what it means. It means the only way to salvation is through God. You have to read verses in context. So when you're studying the Bible, I want you to ask yourselves these three questions. Who was the author writing to? What was he trying to teach them? And how does this apply to my life? If you ask these three questions while you're studying the Bible, it will make things so much clearer. Who is the author writing to? Now in Matthew, he's predominantly writing to the Jews. He's writing to the Jews because he wants to give them a context that Jesus really was the Messiah. That's what he's really trying to teach them. He's trying to teach them how to be saved. And how does this apply to my life is that I need to surrender and trust in him. When you ask those three questions, it makes everything real clear. Again, with your Bible reading gold, Genesis. Who is the author writing to? It's Moses. And he's writing to a people in the Genesis that have no idea of their history, no idea of the history of God. So he's trying to teach them those things. What was he trying to teach them? That God created the world and God is all-powerful. And how does this apply to my life? That God is all-powerful and all-creative. When you read the Bible and you have a little bit of context, it makes everything way, way clear. Quick review. Five steps how to study the Bible more effectively. Verse 1. Be humble and be teachable. If you even do this one, I promise you, the Bible will become way more alive. Second thing, pick a version of the Bible that works best for you. Try different lamps. It will really make your life easier. Third one, do not get intimidated by the Bible. Find people to help you. If you have Google as your friend. Find things like that. Set realistic Bible reading goals. Do not set these unrealistic goals and then feel like a failure. Read the Bible. God wants to create an intimacy with you. And last thing, context is key. Make sure you're getting the verse correct. Make sure you're getting the verses right and you know a little bit of background behind that. I want to close with a quote from an incredibly godly man. My youth pastor used to always teach me this about the Bible and that was Bill Opperman. And he would always say this, this quote and it was from his father Ken Opperman who was an amazing missionary, led ten, thousands and thousands of people to the Lord. But he used to say this. He used to say this to Bill and Bill used to always say it to me. He said, look, this book will either keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. And it's just true. This book will either keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. So would you bow with me real quickly as we wrap up? Lord, you know my cry, my prayer is that for people that have not normally read the Bible, God, that they would go home and you would ignite that power and, that, and that, that, that just spirit within them that the Bible would become alive to them. God, you want to speak to us. So God, I pray that we would get out of the way our, our preconceived notions and things like that and we would read it for just what it is and God, you would speak to us in power and you would convict us and you would change us the Bible was the greatest book ever written because it's alive and active. It'll, it's timeless. It'll never go out. God, I just pray that we would receive what you have for us as we put these five steps into practice. No matter where we are, we've been walking with you for 10 minutes. We've been walking with you for 10 years, 30 years, 50 years. We all need more of you. So God, as we open your word, speak to us, have your way with us. Let us become the men and women of God that you want us to be. And I pray this all in your precious name. Amen.
1: Thank you, Keith. So good to be in God's Word. As Keith said, we want you to be in it yourself, and it's also good to hear it preached, hear it taught. It's just a critical uh, means by which we can grow. You've been hearing about that, I know, for, for years if you've been coming to, to this church. One of the things we do here at, at CAC is we, we share communion on a, on a regular basis. I mentioned earlier that we're going to, to be doing that this morning. And, and so here's what I, what I want us to do. Because I can already hear the little noises going, right, with this cup. Right? So he, here's what I want you to do. So if you listen before you act, here's what we're going to do. There's, you know, you, you know there's, there's a little wafer on top. And there's juice in, in, in the cup. We've been doing this a, a little while. So, so that we don't all worry about that as we're actually taking communion. If you want to now, just take the top layer of plastic off where that wafer is, and then you just have the wafer in your hand. And you just have the wafer in one hand and the cup in the other. And leave the seal on the cup, no problem. Okay? We'll give you a moment to do that. Again, if you're at home and you have maybe you have some of these cups, because I know some of you have taken them, and if, if not, if you have a, something that will serve as, as a, 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 something that represent bread and something to represent Jesus' blood, that's, that's fine. We want you to join us as well. Okay? So now that we have that, just hold on to it. And, and here's what we're going to do this morning. I'm not going to sit down, and I just knocked this sign over, so I'll kick that out of the way. So uh, I want you to know, first of all, that if you're not a member here, if you don't attend here regularly, that's not a problem. That, that's not a requirement to take communion. There's really only one requirement, and that is that you have accepted Christ, right? This This wafer and this cup represent Jesus' body and and his blood spilled on the cross and given on the cross. And so by taking communion, you are saying that you're accepting that this is his body and this is his blood. It represents his, his body and his blood broken really for us, given for us freely. And so by By accepting that, by taking this communion, you're saying, yes, I I believe that. I have accepted Christ. I've accepted the work that he's done on the cross. So, if you've done that, you're welcome to take communion. Absolutely. No problem. Doesn't matter if this is your first Sunday here or if you've been here for for years. In Scripture, we find that really communion is a time to to do two things. One is to remember. Jesus said to his disciples, he, he took the bread and he broke it. And then he gave it to them. He said, take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. And then later he took the cup and he said the same thing. This is the new covenant in in my blood. Take and drink it and do this in remembrance of me. So in just a moment, we're going to remember Jesus. And we're going to remember what he did for us. And then in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul also shows us, reminds us or tells us that it's also a time to examine ourselves. And really what he means is, as you read the context of that, there were some issues that he was dealing with with the Corinthian church. Again, as Keith said, knowing the context of that. But really the lesson out of that is we want to examine our hearts to see if our relationship is is right with the Lord and right with other people. And so I want to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. And then, after we do that, I'll I'll just close in prayer, and, and then I'll lead you through actually taking communion. Okay, so what I want you to do is just quietly pray silently, and just, and just remember Jesus. Just remember what he's done for you, and then I'll just mention, uh, hey, not, not, let's go ahead now and just examine ourselves. So would you take a moment, bow your heads, let's just pray together and remember Jesus, who he is, and what he's done. Let's pray together. Jesus sacrificed his all for you. He gave his body, he allowed his blood to be spilled for you. Now I want to give you an opportunity to examine yourself, your life, your relationship with the Lord. Is there is there something that God may be pointing out to you that needs to change? Is there an area of sin in your life that you need to confess to him? Perhaps there's an area where there's broken relationships uh, with other people here. Here in this place, perhaps. Take a moment. And examine yourself. Examine those relationships. And if you need to confess, then do that. Take a moment. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you gave your all, you were obedient and sacrificed yourself so that we might have life and that we might have a right relationship with you, the God of the universe. Thank you that you convict us when necessary so that we might change so that you might transform us. Father, we give you great praise as we remember and as we examine ourselves this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. If you would now partake the bread. Then you can open this. Take the juice. Would you join me in prayer one more time? Father, we ask that as we enter again into a time of singing, that it would be a time of true worship, that we would be reminded of what you've done and who we are. We are your children. And we are your children not because of our merit, but because of your work on the cross. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Follow me.